0: Hi, this is Pastor Brittany Isaac from Urban Village Church Chicago. We are a church that is bold, inclusive, and relevant. I know that many of you out there are hungry for a gospel message of healing and wholeness, a message that leads to a life transformed by Christ. I hope that this podcast does just that, and if it does, would you please consider making a financial gift that will support this gospel-inclusive ministry? You can do that by going to urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give.
1: Thanks so much, and have a blessed day. Uh, Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like a rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them Parthians, Medes, something, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, (sighs) Lord help me, (laughs) Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, "'What does this mean?' But others sneered and said, "'They are filled with new wine.' But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, "'Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose.' was beautiful.
0: There's no such thing as an unpronounceable part, just a part that you have found to pronounce your way. Hi, everybody. I'm Hannah Carden. I'm the pastor of the Wicker Park site of Urban Village Church, and I am so, so glad to be here this day sharing this worship and this time with you here at Edgewater. Um, I praise God for anything that brought you here this day. Um, And if any of y'all hear a violent wind at any point in the service, you just stand up and we will experience it together. Um, Please pray with me. You're the praying kind. God of fire... God of rushing wind, God of surprises and shocks, and of our own native language. Help meet us here today, Um, be with us here today in whatever we need to hear from you, however we need to be encouraged or prodded to go forward. Be in the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts, help them to be of you. And if they aren't, if words should slip from us that aren't of you, that aren't of justice, that aren't of mercy, help us to start over again, because we know that the resurrection is real, and there are always more chances. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, There are a lot of different ways that religions or denominations or religious communities get their start, right? Uh, some religions get their start when there is one person in historically usually a dude but doesn't have to be who is particularly charismatic or who has a great lesson to say and they start saying that lesson or charismaing that charisma out in the universe and people start to follow them and they start to do things together. There are other religions that start when a group of people has an experience so profound that it drives them to live differently, to be differently in the world, and that starts a whole new thing. There are others that start um, over the course of years, over the course of time, as they read a book together or meditate on something together and begin to find new things. But there's a particular way of new sex or denominations or religions starting that is my uh, absolute 100% favorite. And that is when people thought that the end of the world was coming and then it didn't. That's my favorite. <laughs> um, and it's happened quite frequently throughout human history that we have been totally certain that we knew exactly when the end was coming and we gave it a date and we gave it a time and we gave it a minute and then the world kept spinning (laughs) and things kept going. Um, A few of the ones that I know, the Anabaptists, some of you may have grown up in Anabaptist traditions, um, a radical, Anabaptists are a sect of Christianity, radical commitment to um, baptism of adults by way of faith, also to resistance of the civic order, they don't participate in politics, they wanna build new communities. There was a group of Anabaptists in Central Europe in 1530s who knew for sure the world was ending in 1533. It was happening, it was coming. Um, and they ended up having a rebellion based on their certainty that the world was gonna end, uh, and then started kind of doing all of the terrible things to other people that they had had done to them, which is a frequent story in history. And then the, the year came, right? The clock turned, new year, uh, and the, the world kept going. There was no end. Um, but the Anabaptists didn't end. The people who had believed in that, the people who had followed that, the people who had been a part of this revolution, some of them left and some of them stayed and some of them said, okay, we were wrong about that. But there are other things that I found here. There are other things that I think we were right about. There's stuff worth continuing. Some of you may have grown up Seventh-day Adventist, know people who grew up Seventh-day Adventist. Similar story. Uh, They were originally Millerites who knew for sure the world was gonna end on October 22nd in 1860-something. And when the day came and the world didn't end, it was called the Great Disappointment. But out of the Great Disappointment, a new church was birthed, a new way of living. People who said, okay, that part we were wrong about, but there's other things, um, and we're still waiting for the end of the earth, but this time we're not gonna put a date on it. We're not not gonna attach as much uh, certainty. And then there's my favorite, my absolute favorite of all of the groups, Uh, which is me and you and us and every Christian ever. Because if you read the New Testament, you will see that all of these folks really thought the world was going to end right then, during their lifetime, right? Before they stopped talking. They knew, they were certain that Jesus' first coming and Jesus' second coming were going to be real close together, and they did not have long to wait. It's part of why uh, it took them so long to write things down. We may have hoped, right, that we have diary entries from the day of the the fish and the bread or that we would have contemporary accounts of the stories, but instead we have stuff that comes from decades later, 100 years later, because people were like, we don't need to write this down. Jesus is coming back, y'all. Like, this is ending. Don't write anything down. It doesn't matter. We just need to pray. Um, And it turns out they were wrong, as many of us have been in many areas of our lives, including our faith, since day one. And I'm thinking about that because of a really interesting thing that Peter does in this Pentecost scripture. Pentecost is one of my favorite days, favorite celebrations in the church, because I have known the miracles of the Holy Spirit in my life. I have been shocked and surprised. I have been moved and transformed by forces that I didn't know how to name and that I didn't know how to predict, and it changed everything. And so I love this acknowledgement that along with God and along with Jesus and along with these stories and along with these texts, there's also this X factor that we're invited to bring into our faith life, which is, I don't know, who knows, right? Like that surprise is something you're supposed to welcome. Um, I think a lot, you know, the Tongues of Flame, one of my younger brothers uh, just finished up Fire Academy and is becoming a firefighter, and I always think, if he had been there, the people may have been covered with, you know, fire extinguishers and water, you know, that that there are people who, this would have been a shock and a danger and a a scary thing, but God invites us to see things that are scary also as things that are empowering and hopeful and wonderful and maybe meant for us. So it's this incredible holiday. But it's so incredible, that part of the story, that the spirit comes down upon us and makes us talk to each other in new ways and be with each other in new ways, that we tend to skip over a little bit this part at the end, um, where Peter, Peter is, this is our failure sermon series, and Peter is a little bit the king of failure. He rejects Jesus three times. Basically, any time he ever says anything to Jesus about what Jesus is saying, Jesus is like, no, you're wrong. Like, (laughs) shut up, Peter. Um, And uh, so Peter is the king of failure, but also Peter is the founder of the church, right? Like most of us, messed up and great. Screw up and to hugely productive and flourishing and the spirit works through him. And so Peter's at this place where the spirit has come down upon the community where the spirit has done this incredible thing and people have heard in their own native language the, the, the message of God. And he's like, uh, how are we? like, what does this mean? How are we going to move forward from here? And so he does what preaching is supposed to do, which is he takes some scripture to try and help the people interpret what their experience means in the real world. And he quotes this Joel passage. So he quotes the Bible that he knows. Um, And if anybody ever messes with you for like using the wrong translation or not quite saying the right words, you remember this, which is Peter changes the words of the scripture that he quotes to the people. So the original Joel talks a lot about history And then it says, um, after those things happen, so after some events that I have talked about happen, there will be this incredible time when there are dreams and visions and where the whole world feels different and it's gonna be amazing. That's what the Joel says. And Peter, when he sees the Pentecost happen, is like, okay, this is scary, but I think I've heard this before, (laughs) right? I've heard this in the Joel. Like there's a, I don't need to be so scared. Let me share with the people, I've heard this in the Joel. But he changes the first words from after those things to in the last days. In the last days, your young people will dream dreams, in the, or have visions. In the last days, your old people will dream dreams because he's so convinced that it's the end of the world. He's so certain that that's the time he is in, that that's what the church is called to do, that that's what he is called to do, that he's willing to change the words of scripture to reflect his own certainty. Um, Could be that we're stuck in some sort of Uh, you know, multi-universe, like physics, you know, whatever. Uh, But I'm pretty sure the world didn't end back when Peter said this. It has kept going, right? We are still here. Peter was wrong. He thought the world was gonna end the next day, and it didn't. Which to me brings up the question of the whole Pentecost story, of the whole being alive story, um, which is what does it mean to have a success or to have a failure? What does it mean to think that we have failed as a church, or as a person, um, or as a person of faith. What are we going for here? What are we trying for? What are we living? Because there's a lot of ways to look at the story. A lot of people point to Pentecost, and they say, you know, if the church were just like that today, things would be okay. If we, just, if we could just give one sermon and have 3,000 people join the church, that would fix all of our problems. If we got back, right, if we got back the spirit they had back then, if we had the faith and the truth that they had then, all of our problems would be over. If we were only like the first church, if we were only like this time when they knew how to share with each other. But even in this time, even in the first days, for as much extraordinary work of the spirit as there was, for as many incredible things that were happening in the church where they did gather together and they did share together and they did do this new thing and live this new life, they were also screwing up all the time. It is like a month after this that the disciples get into a huge fight about what the nature of the church is gonna be. It is on this day that Peter is convinced the world is gonna end and he's wrong. It doesn't take long for you to come upon failure anytime you're looking at a supposed success, not because we're awful and terrible and we should be ashamed of all these failures, but because failure is inevitable, and it's a part of human life, and it's a part of a broken world, and we should probably get used to it already. Failure is a part of the package. Failure is a part of the deal. Failure is a part of trying to be church even when the Holy Spirit is lighting you up in front of others, and we need to stop being so scared of it. I think we live in a culture, not just in our church, but in the United States, where we are taught to be so afraid of being seen as failures, of admitting failure, of acknowledging the ways in which we've failed. We do everything we can (laughs) to hide from it or cover it up or find some other way of living besides admitting the ways in which we failed, right? It's so hard to admit the ways that we failed at work, to admit the ways that we failed with others, (laughs) in our friendships, in our dating lives, in our partnerships the ways that we've been cruel to each other, or the ways that we don't do what we say we're gonna do, or the ways in which we've fallen so far short of the vision that we had for what our life was gonna be and who we were gonna be. Um, We fail all the time, but none of us are really admitting it, right? This is why it's so painful to look at other people's Facebook profiles because you see their highlights but you never see their lowlights. And when you think about your own life, you only see the lowlights and you never see the highlights. We've developed a culture that's so afraid of admitting that we've failed, and we see this, there's so very many things wrong with our current administration that uh, we lose some of the things that are wrong because there's so many different things to talk about. right? There's so many things that are happening that are um, unjust and cruel, but there was an example of an interesting small thing that I've seen in this administration a lot that happened this week, which was, uh, some of you may have been joking about it on Twitter, right? Um, he, uh, our, our president, Donald Trump, made a typo in a tweet. Right, he made a typo, he misspelled a word. He misspelled a word. Um, and the world, joyous to have something that wasn't extraordinary oppression to talk about, like talked about it all day long, right? <laughs> made jokes, did things. And then, and then, his press secretary said that, in fact, it was not a typo. It was something that only certain people understand, right? It wasn't a mistake. It was on purpose and it was a secret and you don't get the secret. Sure. And it's silly, right? And it's, right? Like, um, and it, that feels silly and it feels small in comparison to the other kinds of error that we are experiencing in our current society and our current community, but I think it's a really telling one because it's such resistance to admitting error or failure that you can't even admit like that autocorrect might have screwed you over, right? There's, there's such resistance, there's such resistance to admitting any kind of failure that you can't admit to the most basic thing that has happened to everyone. And when you can't admit to failure, when you can't acknowledge that you mess up, you will never ever grow. And you will never, ever learn. Because failure is not the worst thing that can happen to you. It just isn't. Stasis and fear are. And what not acknowledging our failures does to us is put us in that place of being locked in a cage of stasis and fear. I look at a lot of people and I look at a lot of churches and I think we're spending so much time being afraid of admitting the ways in which we failed, or being afraid of dying, that we never live, that we never live. We're so afraid of things going wrong that we never step boldly enough into the future for the good things to go right. We're never as arrogantly obnoxious but also as beautifully bold as Peter, who steps into a moment that God has made holy and says, also I know this other thing about when the world is ending. Um, Sure, he got that part wrong, but the part about the visions and dreams, that was sure right, because we're still living out those visions and dreams today. Here at Urban Village, right, I love this church. I think this church does a lot of great things. There's a reason that I work here, right? I wouldn't work here if I thought that we were screwing everything up. Um, But there's certainly a lot of things that we're screwing up. There's a lot of areas in which we fail. And one of the ways that I know that the Holy Spirit is alive in this church is that most of the time, I think we make an attempt to admit those areas of profound failure. Um, So I think the journey isn't to come to a place where you don't fail. The journey is to come to a place where you always admit it and where you gather together with others to move forward from it, right? Because that's what they do. That's where the Holy Spirit meets them, when they gather together. I I don't know how you talk about this aspect of of Urban Village Church's life here. I'm sure you talk about it, but I don't know the language. At Wicker Park, we talk about the language that uh, when Urban Village was founded, there was an ease and a simplicity um, or an assumed necessity of singing the song of LGBTQ inclusion. That that was a core part of our identity, that thinking about the ways in which Jesus was queer and that queerness um, changes and transforms our lives and our faith and that our solidarity with queer people or our existence as queer people and knowing that God made us was like a core part of the church experience. And there are ways that we need to grow in that continually. Um, And from the very beginning we had either, depending on the time, 100% or majority white paid staff, right? And so whiteness and um, the racism of our community that we swim in that constructs us also constructed the structures of this church. Also got baked in to the layers and to the practices and to the way that we talk and to the way that we do things. And over time, I think there was always like a, like a seed of acknowledgement about that or desire to be a multicultural and anti-racist church, but it became more and more clear the ways in which we were profoundly failing to live up to that part of our values, the way in which inclusion wasn't actually inclusive for all, <laughs> the ways in which inclusion wasn't being lived out in our practices and the way that we were doing things, and it's still not. It's not today. Um, And I think there are different ways that I have seen different communities respond to that kind of acknowledgement. The acknowledgement that there is something profoundly disordered in the life of our community, profoundly non-gospel in the life of our community. Um, And one of them is to say to anyone who brings it up, shut up, get out of here, that's not true, we're not going to talk about that. Which all of us have an instinct to do and may have happened in some conversations here, right? Because it's a very human response. And one of them is to say, oh, yeah, like, we'll totally take care of that later. (laughs) Um, And and one is to say, well, actually, we did that on purpose. Like, we're only called to a specific kind of church, and, like, that's who we are, and other churches are supposed to be other kinds of things, right? And anything to cover up the idea that you have failed. Um, and I, I think we as a church have had a little bit of all those responses because we're broken people, but we've also had the response that I respect the most and that I think Jesus is inviting us to, which is to say, okay, we've really failed. Let's like, take a look at that place of failure. <laughs> um, let's have a professional organization and an anti-racist audit team from all four of our sites get together and make some recommendations for us about how we begin to chip away at this part of us that isn't working, at this part of us that is failure alive, at this part of us that isn't inclusion for all of us. Um, And how are we gonna do that and what are we gonna do? And then as we live into it, how do we set up ways where as we continue to live into those recommendations, which I believe are going to be released in a couple of weeks, and so we'll all have the opportunity to discuss those and live into those together, how do we have systems in place so that when we fail at those two, because we will, right? Like imagining that one set of solutions is going to fix us forever it, uh, does not take the world and its brokenness or our church in its brokenness sufficiently seriously. How are we going to build into that? When we fail at that, then how do we start over again, right? How do we grow again? How do we try a new thing? How do we have everyone's voices and hearts and souls and actions at the table? How are we all together, as they were when the Holy Spirit came down in fire and violent wind, and imagining all of the people who have not yet come to the table, who do not yet feel welcome at the table, or who have not yet wanted to be here, but, but who, if we were sufficiently who we should be, would, um, how do we build that in? Because the worst thing in the world is not to fail. The worst thing in the world is to fail and never admit it. (laughs) The worst thing in the world is to never grow and to start to calcify and become like a stone that has no heart and no blood in it. Um, To never listen to the movement of the Holy Spirit because all movement feels like a threat and a danger. Because movement feels like, well, if we're doing something wrong, then that means that we're awful and so we can't possibly ever try to grow. (laughs) This is, I think, on the sort of personal level, where we really, on a structural level, I think we, we resist admitting failure because like, change is really hard and giving up power is really hard. On a personal level, I think we resist admitting failure because we've been taught by our world that if we admit one failure, we are totally worthless and awful, right? Like, oh, like you messed up on that project at work, or like, oh, you have some real like, conflict in your partnership or your marriage. You're the worst. There's a voice in our head that says to us, admit failure and it's all over. Admit failure and you're done. Um, But admit failure and you get to stop holding on to the mask. Admit failure and you get to let go of your false pretenses at perfection that everybody knew weren't true anyway and have been driving you slowly mad with the effort to keep them up. (laughs) Yeah? (laughs) Yeah. Admit failure, and you can welcome in that rushing, rushing Holy Spirit that does not say to you, be perfect or you are perfect, but says to you, I am with you. I am with you in this fight. I am with you in this effort. I am with you in this community. And God's power is upon you to change, not to maintain whatever you are right now. The Holy Spirit... um, Is a beautiful name for the thing that we're talking about when we talk about the holy spirit i love that word of like spirit breath right like those are all great words for it but we forget the word that's actually used in the scripture the greek paraclete um, actually means come alongside with the thing that comes alongside with the thing that is beside you when you try and do this incredibly hard thing that is called being the body of christ if we're going to try and be the church it is going to be a constant, lifelong, eternal, biting off more than we can chew, right? Because we're going to be trying to have devotional lives that are filled with fidelity and spirit, and we're going to try and have community life where we really like are there for each other in the funerals and in the bringing meals when we're depressed and like all of that stuff and we're going to be trying to change the world and bring about um, the, the social justice that is a reflection of the kingdom that Jesus has announced. If we are going to try and be the body of Christ, we are always going to be doing much more than we can do. Making that attempt and asking the Holy Spirit to come alongside us and admitting the places where we fail and then allowing the Holy Spirit and one another to teach us how to grow is so much better <laughs> than being afraid that change will kill us, and then dying slowly through lack of transformation. So many of us are walking around so scared of dying that we never live, and that's just not how Jesus did it, right? Jesus embraced holy failures. Jesus' message was so shocking and so scary to the people around him that while he preached to thousands across multiple countries, really only 12 people ever converted, right? Like, that's not a great, like, rate of success. Um, (laughs) uh, But it still changed the world, right? Jesus died. If you read early Christian literature, they are really struggling with the fact that Jesus died, right? Because that is a shame and an offense, that your God could die, that their body could be that weak and that broken, that the empire would make its power known on his body was a source of struggle, right? Does that mean that our God has no power? No. It means that our God has so much power, our God is not afraid of death. And so our God invites us to not be afraid of death either. If we truly believe that grace is real, if we truly believe that the resurrection is real, that God's power may come upon us at any time and is alongside us at all times, There is no failure so big that it would hurt us to admit it. There just isn't, because the Holy Spirit is there to help us grow and move forward from it and live into the world that we wish were true and the people that we wish we could be. The miraculous thing about the Pentecost, people think it's that it's all the languages, right? That it's all the languages that the people hear the message in. Um, But for those of us who come from immigrant families, we know it says that the people who hear the message are from everywhere, but they live in Jerusalem. And they probably can speak some of the language of the city right? This is most of our experiences. Um, A lot of folks who are on the margins, who come from one place to another, often those are the people who know the most languages of the world, right? They know how to get by, how to get along in four or five or six languages, whether it's through code switching or whether it's through knowing, right? Like French and Swahili and English. When you run into these kinds of folks that the scripture is talking about, they kind of know a little bit of the lingua of where they've gone because that's what you need to survive, So, I don't think it's that they had heard Peter preaching in Hebrew, or they had heard Paul, Paul's not around yet, but they had heard these other guys preaching in Greek, um, and they hadn't understood it. They had understood it, right? Like, they knew what the people were saying. But this, the Pentecost, was the first time that they heard the message in the language of their heart. In their native tongue, it says. What's different is not that it's the first time that they've heard it. It's the first time they've heard it in the language of their heart, at the core of who they are. That they've heard it as the full and whole person who God has called them to be. Not having to become like the other or become like the people who are in charge in order to know Jesus, but knowing the message of God as exactly who they are and where they feel most comfortable and in the language that their heart has been speaking since the day of their birth. That's what's different about Pentecost. What's different about Pentecost is that the Holy Spirit approaches us as exactly who we are and helps us to hear the message in all of it, in all of our failures and all of our joys. And so we are called to be together, to gather in one place together, screwing it up, driving each other to anger. Right? Like, we're, If we're gonna do this church thing, we're gonna get mad at each other. If we're gonna do this church thing, we're gonna have fights and troubles and concerns, and we're gonna cry a little bit, and we're gonna, like, we're gonna do all these things, and we're gonna do this church thing. But the alternative is not that we never have conflict, the alternative is that we never experience the profound spirit meeting us, each of us as we are, and still being, being able to do this thing called community. And so God has called us to invite the Holy Spirit into our lives. God has called us to admit our failures. As people and as a church, And not to say, by admitting our failures, we absolve ourselves of responsibility, but by admitting our failures, we take on new responsibility. To make our every day of failure a little different than the failure of the day before. That's the journey and that's the call. And the blessing is that we are on that road together. We are on that road together, not alone. And we are on that road, not just with the other people in this place, but with the Holy Spirit who has come alongside us. To say, you are my beloved, with you I am well pleased. There is work to do, and I believe we can do it. And you don't have to pretend anymore that you're perfect in order to do it with me. So let's listen to that spirit and live like it were true. Amen? Amen. Amen.